0: I have felt led to uh, take us to the famous story of the prodigal son. I want to set the table by sharing with you something from Ephesians chapter 2. This is verse 17. You can just write it down for your notes. It says, And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off, to you who were fast away or just away, and peace to those who were near." So he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. The Jewish word, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. The Greek word is irene. And I have a word picture uh, dictionary in my office. It's called Hebrew word pictures and it defines a lot of these words. And here's what the word peace is in a definition by Dr. Frank Seekins. He says the word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. The letter sheen, which is a picture of teeth or to destroy. Lamed, which is a staff in the picture language. And the Hebrew letter vav, which is a hook or a nail, can mean to establish. And then the letter mem, which speaks of water or chaos. Thus the meaning of shalom is to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. The word speaks of peace, tranquility, or welfare. The verbal root that shalom or peace comes from is shalom, which means to be whole, sound, or safe. Peace is much more than a lack of struggle. Peace is the wholeness that comes when you pay off a debt, 2 Kings 4-7, or finish a project, Nehemiah six fifteen. Peace comes not just when we mop the water, but when we fix the leak. Peace does not run from problems Peace faces problems. Romans 5.1 says that we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we lack is peace. Peace in the, in the sense that I just defined it for you. A wholeness, a tranquility, peace with God. In fact, the Bible teaches that because of sin, we're not at peace with God. In fact, many people are at war with their maker. And the book of Isaiah says, Woe to you who quarrel with your maker. It makes no sense to be at war with your maker, but so many people are, and people have their reasons. And if you think about the prodigal story, this is something that hit me this week. I I was asking the question, thinking about the story, as to why the prodigal wanted to leave in the first place. Why did he want to leave all the security of the farm, and and his dad, and his mom, and all that he had? And there's a lot of reasons why prodigals become prodigals. Sometimes prodigals, and the the word prodigal can be defined as someone who wanders and wastes. Just think of two W's. A prodigal, a prodigal person who goes wayward is wandering, and then they end up being in a wasteful situation. They waste their resources or even waste their time, talent, and treasure. But have you ever thought, why did the prodigal want, want to leave? What was the purpose of his departure? You could say, well, he wanted to go off and see the big lights, uh, the bright lights in the big city. He was tired of home, tired of the chores, tired of mom and dad. You know, when we uh, are late teenagers or maybe even middle teenagers until about the time we're about 25, we don't think our parents are very smart. They get smarter as we get older. Have you discovered that? Boy, they, they know a little bit more than I gave them credit for. Could it be that the prodigal left because he was hurt? You know, there's a lot of people who grow up in Christian circles, and for one reason or or another, they get hurt. Maybe they get disappointed. Maybe they prayed about something. Or maybe they meet someone who they would categorize as a total hypocrite. And the older brother in the story, we have to remember, the older brother represents the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus said of them, they are what? Classic hypocrites. And the common people were really, in many ways, being pushed away from God by the religious leadership. Because the religious leadership had added so much to the word of God, so much to the law of God that they were making it impossible for anybody to really please God or be in good standing with God. There's a famous uh, Jewish commentator of scripture and uh, he said something that Jesus brought that's brand new, a concept about God. His name is C.G. Montefiore. He admitted that this is one absolutely new thing that Jesus taught men about God That God actually searched for lost men and women. That God is a searching God. Luke 19.10 is probably the theme verse for the whole gospel of Luke. And it says this. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now the most famous chapter that tells the story of this seeking God. That he comes to seek and save lost people. Is found in Luke 15. There are actually three parables there. There are three panels of the same parable. I'll explain in a moment. But I just want to have you think for a moment about this seeking one who was born on that Bethlehem night and how he sought out people. Can you think of some people that specifically Jesus had what you might call a custom-made appointment with that person? Well, I think many of you will immediately think of the woman at the well. In John 4, the Bible says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why? Jews didn't even, they didn't even want to step on Samaritan ground. Why did he have to pass through Samaria? Why did he, Samaria, why did he have to? Because he had an appointment with a broken woman who had been married five times, married and divorced. By the way, in Jewish culture and in Samaritan culture as well, women had very few rights. The men had all the rights so, you might want to think about the woman at the well not as like a modern or a ancient Elizabeth Taylor who was married, I don't know how many times, married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced. The woman at the well is more like a woman who's been left time and time again. Since the husband had all the control as to whether or not the marriage would continue, she was a woman who had been abandoned. Over and over again, at least five times, five times different men left her. And Jesus came on a rescue mission to an abandoned woman to say, they may have left you, but I, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And he started just a normal conversation about, you know, the water at the well and and so forth. But he told her that he had living water to offer. And of course, that woman was transformed. I think of the man who was born blind. Questions about what he might have done wrong. I think of Saul on the road to Damascus fighting against God. Hating Christianity and the Christian church. He was on his way to destroy the church on the road to Damascus. And Jesus confronted him. And Paul, we'll we'll forever know Paul now as the greatest missionary probably of all time writing so much of the New Testament, being changed by the glory of the risen Lord. I think of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up the tree to get a look at Jesus. And Jesus had an appointment with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was restored. And Luke 19, 1 through 10, tells that story. And Jesus culminates that story by giving the theme verse of the book of Luke. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And there's an incredible story that kind of goes with what we heard in the testimony today, there was a, what's called the demoniac at Gadara. He lived on the other side of the lake, the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, in an area called the Decapolis. It means the Ten Cities. And Jesus had the disciples go through a storm to get to this man to deliver him who had legion. He had a multitude of demonic spirits in him. Jesus cast the spirits out to the, into the swine. Remember? They all went off the cliff. The man who had been naked. Shrieking among the tombs. Cutting himself to try to get rid of the demonic spirits that were in him. And there were, there were multitudes of them. Was now delivered. In his right mind. Clothed in the one thing that he wanted to do is go with Jesus. He said, wherever you go, paraphrase, that's where I want to be. Please take me with you. And Jesus said, no, you're not going to go with me. You're going to stay here on this side of the lake, if you will, and you're going to tell your family and you're going to tell this city the great things that the Lord has done for you. And by the way, that, that uh, formerly demon-possessed man did his job. Jesus came back. He fed 4,000 on that side of the lake. Many people came to faith in Christ. And throughout early church history, there was always a major representative from the area of Kersey where that man was. uh, In early church councils, he had done his job. And Jesus, if you will, left the 99 to find the one. After he delivered the demoniac, he got back in the boat. They demanded him to leave and he left. That area. They they were afraid. They were fearful. And Jesus left. But he had touched one man's life. And that man then touched many more lives. Jesus says, I will leave the 99. He left heaven for you. And he will leave the 99. You know, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. And tonight when we look at Luke chapter 2, we'll see that the original declaration of the birth of the Messiah is made to shepherds. Why? Because Jesus is the great shepherd. He's willing to leave the 99 to save you and to save me. I don't know what your specific situation was when he saved you when you heard the gospel, but just know he cares about the one. You matter to him. You know, I don't know all of your stories. I know many of you personally, but I don't know every one of your stories. But, you know, you've come to church on this Christmas Eve, and maybe for you, Christianity has kind of been compartmentalized in this in this part of your life that almost seems somewhat unreal. I was listening to, was it Liz Curtis Higgs, who was teaching on a Focus on the Family broadcast, and a lady came up to her and said, you teach the Bible like you actually believe it. (laughs) And she said, that's because I do. I actually believe that the God of heaven, Emmanuel, came down to save us. That he's willing to leave the 99 to come after the one. This is how it's introduced. And I'm not going to have time to do a bunch of uh, commentary here. But I want you to see how it opens up in Luke 15. Now, verse 1. All the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Jesus drew those who were outcasts of society. Luke 15:1. They were all coming. All the tax gatherers, outcasts. All the sinners, they came near. To come near is another way to say to worship. When we worship God, we come near. If you draw near to God, he'll what? He'll draw near to you. What were they doing? They were drawing near to listen. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Jesus didn't push the people that, the religious leadership kind of pushed away. They didn't want to have meals with these people. These people were drawn to Jesus. And when we're witnessing to people, look, let's not try to put categories on people. Let's just share the good news of the gospel. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. So think about where you've been sharing your faith and maybe widen that circle. Now, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable, saying... I want you to see in Luke 15, 3, who did he tell the parable to? The grumbling Pharisees and scribes. If you want a target audience for the parable that's told here, and by the way, it's probably best to think about it as one parable with three panels. It's about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. The stakes get ramped up as you go. It's one sheep in a hundred, it's one coin in ten, and then it's one of two sons. So the stakes get higher or more important as you go on. A sheep, then a coin, then a son. And Jesus, as he is telling this parable, and a parable is just simply a story, uh, earthly story to make a spiritual point. It's kind of laying a story by this side to illustrate a theological point or a point about God or about the kingdom of God he said verse 4 Luke 15 what man among you which one of you if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders what he rejoices And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven. Heaven is another way of saying, in the presence of God, over how many? Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Heaven rejoices when one lost sheep comes home. Maybe our view about heaven should differ a little bit because sometimes when we think about heaven, we think about those cool-looking angels in Revelation 4 and 5 that never cease night and day to sing holy, holy, holy. We were listening to Francis Chan at a pastor's conference and he said, you know, it amazes me how people will say church is boring. Can you imagine the angels with the eyes and back and in front At some point, one day, just saying, you know what? I'm a little bored with saying, holy, holy, holy. I'm kind of bored. What do you mean you're bored? This is God we're talking about. But apparently, at some point, heaven takes breaks to rejoice over lost people who are coming into the kingdom. How many times have you caused heaven to have a party? Think about it. How many lost sheep have come home because you've shared the gospel with them? I know it's convicting, but it's important to think about. Newsboys many years ago sang a song called Entertaining Angels. And when they were asked about the song, which was a big hit some years ago, they were thinking about Luke 15 when they wrote the song that one way we can entertain angels is by sharing the good news of the gospel and having people. Come into the kingdom. Apparently angels are high-fiving all the time in heaven. We got another one. Another victory. What woman, verse 8, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, Jesus speaking, I tell you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now he tells the third panel of the parable. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. He says a certain man had two sons. We're going to find out that both of the sons were truly lost. Jesus opens the story, but he'll focus away from the two to the younger. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me. Parents, you might want to mark that because that seems like a common phrase among our children. Christmas lists. I want this. I want that. I want that. Right? I know I drove my mother crazy when we were younger because I would have a big ticket item and my mom wasn't always rolling the dough when we grew up. (laughs) And so she would always play it up a little bit like, she didn't get me that one thing I wanted, whether it was a basketball hoop or a baseball glove. And then finally at the end, she would bring out the gift that was hidden somewhere away. And we'd be crying and whining. Do you remember, Michelle? I mean, can't, can't we didn't get the gift we wanted. It? The world's wrong. And then they'd bring out the gift, and we would feel so terrible. Can I get a witness? Mom, you were really good at that. That's... I should have implemented that more when my kids were growing up. (laughs) Well, the younger says, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And dad divided his wealth between them. Now, this was really a no-no in Jewish culture. Your dad really controlled the last will and testament. The firstborn was supposed to get about two-thirds, and one-third went to the next one down. So the firstborn was in a a position where he was going to get more, but... The the younger son, he wanted his share and he wanted it now. And you weren't supposed to do this. You were supposed to leave it to dad. Now, dad could make that decision if he wanted to retire and let you control the farm. But that was up to him. So this is a bit presumptive, to say the least. In fact, this is a way of really dishonoring your family. This is a way of saying, I'm not gonna do things the cultural way. I'm not gonna do things your way. I'm out of here. Give me what, is coming to me, and I'm gone. And, and the father did. The father gave him his share. There's no, Jesus tells us about no dialogue, no back and forth, no debates. He just says, okay, and get this, dad, let him go. Now I want you to think with me for a second. In the three panels of this famous parable, the sheep is pursued by the shepherd, the lost coin is searched for by the woman, But in the third panel regarding the son, the father lets him go. There's nothing in the story that he goes after him. There's nothing in the story that he searches for him. He says, okay, go. Now, this is very important to understand. Sometimes what God does in order to get us back is to let us go. Now, one of the divine appointments I was telling you about how Jesus came and preached peace was Uh, A rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, "What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What good thing must I do? Good teacher, what should I do? Hey, this is a great question to get eternal life. But Jesus knew that his God was money. And so he said to him, go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. If that's what you want, here's your God, here's your idol, get rid of it and follow me. And the the young man had many possessions and so he walked away sorrowfully. And the Bible does not tell us that Jesus chased him. It does not tell us that Jesus pleaded with him, oh, please reconsider. He simply let him go and then he made this statement, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples then said, Well, then who can be saved? With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Hey, that's Christmas. That's what Mary said. How could this be? I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. Because with God, all things, how many? All things are possible. Do you believe that? He's God. All things are possible. And so he let him go. The son said, I'm out of here. And dad said, okay. The book of Romans, over and over again, in the famous chapter of Romans chapter one, says that God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Okay, if that's what you want, go. But I think sometimes when God gives us over to our own devices, he knows what's gonna happen. He knows that we're gonna end up Exhausting our resources. Searching for peace in all the wrong places. And come to some realizations about what we had before. There's an old saying, you've all heard it. You never know what you have until it's gone. And the prodigal is going to look at that square in the face. Now when he had spent everything, verse 14... A severe famine occurred in that country. Now he had gotten a sizable inheritance by a wealthy landowner which was his dad but he spent everything and then there was a famine in the land. A famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. He went off to this distant country which is what Verse 13 tells us, not many days later, it didn't take him long, back to 13, the younger son gathered everything together, packed the suitcase, if you will, and he went on a journey into a distant country. The idea is outside of the Jewish world, if you will, and he squandered his estate with loose or wild living, and he spent everything, verse 14. His pockets were bare. He had Maybe for a time, if you read between the lines, he had been the new kid in town. He had money and, you know, he was buying friends and maybe, you know, partying it up and having a good time. But then all of a sudden he looked inside his pockets and there was nothing left. He had spent everything. And to add to that, there was a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in need. A question began to emerge in his heart What do I do now? What do I do now? You know, when you've got everything going for you, people will like you. And if you can take people out to lunch and you pull up in a shiny new car and you look like you have success, but the moment that you get, you know, maybe knocked down a rung or two or you lose some things, you know, a lot of people will disappear from your life. You can kind of find out who your true friends are when you're in want. Everybody know what I'm saying? And I want to tell you, for those of you who are here, um, some will listen to this later, but if you're in need right now, we would ask you to come to us and tell us how we can help you. Uh, if, we, if we can pray for you, if we can help, you know, push you in a direction that will help you even if you can't provide Christmas, we'd like to know. And I'm, I'm serious when I say that. And so he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now remember, the Jewish religious leadership along with the sinners and the tax collectors are all listening to the story. This is a, a Jewish rabbi. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi telling the story to Jewish religious leadership and he tells about the, the prodigal and then he says, okay, finally he's so desperate he gets a job feeding swine, swine. Is pigs, and pigs are unclean to the Jew. And so you can hear the people listening to the story. Oh, no, 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 not that, no. (laughs) Jesus was a master storyteller, so they were engaged in the story. The young man has gotten so low, he's got nothing left, and he's feeding pigs. And he was longing to fill his stomach with pods that the swine were eating, And no one was giving anything to him. Verse 16 doesn't say he ate the pods. It says he longed to eat them. But it may be that he couldn't even get at those. He had to fight the pigs for him. The pigs probably weren't liking that. The pods that pigs eat are the seeds of the carob tree. He was so hungry that you might put it in modern vernacular. Even dog food looked pretty good to him. Can you imagine fighting your dog for his daily ration? I mean, I know our dogs love us, but if you get near some dogs when they're eating, it ain't pretty. (laughs) Of course, when you're eating your food, everything's fine with your dog. (laughs) Right? But this is the position he was in. And when he came to his senses, 17, he literally came to himself. He said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? Do you see in verse 17, it's still about him. It's not about what he did to his dad. It's about his hunger. And he has this revelation. Even my dad's hired servants, they're doing okay. They're eating better than this, of course. So he had one of those aha moments. Dad came into his mind. He came to himself. Barclay says, Jesus believed that so long as a man was away from God, he was not himself. You've been made in the image of God. But when you are not walking with your maker, please hear what I'm saying. You lose some of your identity of what it truly means to be human. And one of the things that the devil is always trying to do because he's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour is he wants to destroy the image of God in you. He wants you to get down to the level of a pig where you no longer understand the beauty of who you are. And here's the prodigal. He goes, I'm dying here. He says, I will get up. I will go to my father. I'll say to him, he begins to rehearse the speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. The hired men would be like day laborers. There were certain servants that had become like the family, but hired men were day laborers and they could be excused the next day or not have work the next day. And he says, make me like one of those. I've had many moments in my Christian life when I am no longer worthy to be called your son came into my heart. Anybody been there before? And if my status before my father was based upon my performance, I would be saying that multiple times a day. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But I am so glad that God does not Put me in his family or keep me there based upon my performance. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He adopted me into his family. Not when I had anything to offer him because I have nothing to offer him. And he got up and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now remember, he's rehearsed the speech like we've all probably done. Maybe we've got something hard to say to somebody and we start to rehearse how we'll say it. That's always scarier than the actual meeting, <laughs> right? We create this monster, and then we have the meeting, and usually it's, it's like nothing like that. And we're sweating bullets. Okay, how do I say it? I wrecked the car. Is there a way to enunciate that better? I, I wrecked the car. I, the car is wrecked. Uh, how, do you, how do you say, I spent everything you gave me. In the ancient world, apparently there was no such thing as a wire transfer. (laughs) Email, dad, I've blown it. This is a face-to-face deal, man. And so while he was still a long way off, dad knew his walk. Father saw him and felt compassion. The very thing that the religious leadership lacked Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And the dad ran something that older men did not do in this culture and embraced him. He literally threw his arms around him and he kissed him in the tents of the Greek as he kissed him again and again and again. My sons now have five o'clock shadows. It's a little bit more painful to kiss them. And sometimes it's painful for them. (laughs) Especially... If their friends are around, <laughs> then I like to accentuate the sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how I love you, boy. And I say I love you a lot, and sometimes they say it a little low, depending on who's around. <laughs> love you too, Dad. Love you too, Dad. I understand. (laughs) Now the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you note it? The father hugged him and kissed him before he ever made the confession of repentance, before he ever said a word about, I'm sorry. Dad already knew by his physical appearance and his walk he was broken. No words needed to be shared. Before he ever even said, I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned in your sight, the father was already hugging and kissing him. There was no need for words. But he let the son talk because it is important that we articulate repentance. And he said to his father what he'd been rehearsing. And the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand. Put some retro sandals on his feet. Just threw that in. Think if you might like that. Three R's. Robe, ring, and retro sandals. And they are retro if you think about it. But anyway, never mind. (laughs) Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us be merry. For this son of mine was dead and he has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found. Dad's excited. And they began to make merry. Think of Merry Christmas. Man, they were celebrating Love keeps no record of wrongs. And God is love. God, if you're in Christ, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you, he is no longer counting your sins against you because he counted them against his son. Do you understand that's what the gospel is? God is not. If you're in Christ, God is no longer counting your sins against you. That is so awesome and humbling. Love, does not merely, love not merely does not seek that which does not belong to it. It is prepared to give up for the sake of others, even what it is entitled to. Oh, to love like that. So many things pound against us loving like that. Selfishness, flesh, pride, hurt. Now, the older brother was in the field. And the older brother, I think all commentators agree, is the religious leadership. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He heard people making merry and he summoned one of the servants and he began inquiring what these things might be. What's going on here, 27? And he said to him, the servant said, your brother has come. Don't know how long he had been away. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Just write down verse two next to verse 27. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The father in the story has received the brother back, though he has sinned so much, and now he's back safe and sound. And the father hasn't kicked the brother out. I mean, the older brother may have been thinking, if he ever darkens our door, I hope dad just boots him to the curb. And imagine if the younger brother would have met him first Saw him from a distance. What do you think the older brother would have said to the younger brother? Get out of here. You've broken dad's heart. Never come back here again. That's the religious leadership. But the father in the story is God. And Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the father. How could you say, Show us the father? And so the older brother became angry. He was, this is a swelling, settled anger. He was not willing to go in. His father came out, pleaded with him. But he answered and said, you know, dad may have said, look, man, this this is right for us to do this. And the older brother did something like this. No, you look. Look. For so many years, I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. I keep all the commandments, at least on the outside. And yet you have never given me a kid a much lesser value than the fatted calf that I might be merry with my friends. You've never thrown me a Christmas party. Here's what I've got for you, Dad. Bah, humbug. (laughs) This whole thing is humbug. You should not That son of yours, he doesn't deserve anything. When he came, 30, he's devoured your wealth with harlots. We don't know if that's true, but that's what the older brother said. And you killed the fattened calf for him. R. Kent Hughes comments. Do you wonder how older brothers get this way? It's very easy to forget what we were like before we came to the father. As time passes, we begin to imagine that we are quote unquote good people. Because we have avoided sins of passion. And all the while sins of attitude run rampant within us. We do not regard our jealousy, pride, and judgmentalism as sins. We call them faults or shortcomings. So we easily become critical, judgmental, and unloving. Our surface familiarity with holy things. Has rendered them dull, insipid, and boring. The older son's heart was more distant than the one that had left the farm. Oh, he stayed, he did the work, he kept the commandments, but for all intents and purposes, his heart was as far away from God as the younger brother. He just did the right thing on the outside. And there are religious people in our world that do that every day. They do the right thing for the sake of the right thing. But as far as their heart is concerned, it's far from God. Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are, they're far. They, they add their tradition to the word. This son of yours, all of you parents can relate to this. This is how we talk. He won't even say my brother. This son of yours. We say that when they're misbehaving. You know what your son has done? You know what your daughter's been up to? <laughs> And the dad pleads and says, my child, 31, you've always been with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and he's, become, he's begun to live. He was lost. And now he's found. This is right. This is how the father responds to lost sheep coming home do you think heaven is happier when people repent than us I think so we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours is dead and he's alive again he was lost and now he's found I'm gonna ask the ushers to prepare to hand out communion and I told you we have a lot going on this morning and I'm glad that you were here with us, but I want to close with something really important. And and it's a question I have for you. And here's my question. Do you know the Father through the Son? Are you a prodigal? Have you been wandering? If you end up living your life without serving the Lord Jesus Christ, may I be as bold as to say to you, you have wasted your life. Some of you may say, Pastor Michael, that's a strong statement. But if there is a God, if heaven and hell are real, if Jesus Christ is the true Messiah and God's got good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them and you're not, then let me ask you, what are you doing with your life? Now, not everybody does the same thing in the kingdom of God, but that may be where you're at right now. Can I just say to you, get in the game. If you're not in the game, man, get in the game. Don't sit on the bench. Get in the game. If you've been a prodigal and you're here today and you came because it's Christmas Eve, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here. This message was for you. And there's a way to come home. And it's simply to say, Father, I'm sorry. I believe that you sent your son Jesus for a lost sheep like me and I want to come home. It's just that simple. Would you bow your head with me? Pray it if it's you. Lord Jesus, I believe you came to save me. I believe you died on that cross. Pray it if it's you for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave to defeat death, my great enemy. I want to come home. I want to come back to you. If you've never met Jesus, maybe this is the first time you you just say, Lord, I want to come to you now. I, I believe you are God. I believe you are real. I want to find peace. And the Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. Cry out to him, even if it's in your heart. Maybe you've been away, you've been hurt. Maybe you could see yourself as the older brother. Whatever it may be. Just do some business with God before these communion elements come around. Father, just thank you so much for the folks that are crying out to you, just doing some business with you. I just pray that you'd meet them where they are. You've shown us the heart of God in this teaching and I pray that we'll run to you and not run from you. Find hope, new life, What was once lost is now found. And I pray that many people will be found in this room. And I pray also that those who maybe have backslidden would come back to you fully walking with you, Lord, and knowing that you are so gracious with us. So we bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.